Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. I trot that out just to say, you know, one of these days, the problem, I could do it to you again. The problem. <laughs> the, so, I have just never been particularly interested in doing a solo show, and I did not realize that I was not interested in doing a solo show until I did one. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with doing a solo show, and people do it all the time. Some people really, really enjoy them. My problem is, is that just sitting there and doing them, it's really, really easy to find yourself getting stuck on a theme. And unfortunately, when we were doing that show, it was right at the point where Weinstein had just gotten, I mean, it had all blown up. Yeah. And there was, and it wasn't just him, it was you know, Kevin Spacey and so And it was like every week I was just like, please let there not be another really powerful rich person going, I'm terrible. <laughs> and and it coming out in a public way and it impacting the industries that we talk about. Right. And, you know, I mean, because for years people, you know, Kevin Spacey's a Superman movie, he did the usual suspects. He's your, you know, he had he had impact on genre as an actor, and, and yes, it leads to the conversations we've had before about separating the artist from the art, right? Um, which is, but that's really hard for some people. So all of that was going on, and so every week it was like, and yet here we have more news about an awful person being awful. Oh my god! Yeah. So and you know, but there's. And it's more, it's more fun to have interaction with somebody else. I mean, I'd much rather most part, yeah. have and, a conversation. And, and that's something that I have noticed when doing Live from the Bunker, because the general idea for that show is for it to be interviews, mm. conversation for an hour. And when it turns into just me, I mean, I can, I can hold my own for an hour, but it's not my preferred format for that show. Yeah. <laughs> I get to spout off and nobody tells me I'm wrong, which is good, because I'm right most of the time anyway, but, you know. Well, that's the other <laughs> problem I have with being a, doing a solo thing, is that it ends up being, in a way, it's your own personal echo chamber. Yeah. And there's, n again, there are people who do this and do it professionally, and I think that's some of the reason that I don't care for a lot of those people. Um, and I, I, that's that's not a politics thing. That's just a every anybody who has their own show and their own they're the only one who's there. I tend to get bored with it very quickly, sure, because I'm just hearing them, and they might be completely 100 percent right, but I well, want more variety than that. Sure, and and I intellectually think when you have call-in programs, you get a little bit of that because you know the host can bounce off of whoever calls in and, and can, does that. You can, but I think that that there you run into, and again, you know, clearly I'm never going to be satisfied. But but then you run into never are. You're that you have somebody who's screening those calls, yeah. which is good. Yes. Don't misunderstand. Yes. Because otherwise you can be nightmare. Um, but there's a well-established 
radio practice that's gone back, I think, to the days of the call, the beginning of the call-in program, which is, oh no, let's let this one through. They're <laughs> going to be entertaining. Well, and the other thing too, I think that's one of the Some things. Are. That's one of the because we've talked about doing a radio program and doing, you know, because there are different internet radio mm -hmm. platforms that are essentially what YouTube is for video. You sure, have right, this right. Uh, Live 365, I think, is the one we were looking at. And there's software that you can get to do an actual call-in show, mm -hmm. and we can, we've looked at that. Of course, it's expensive, and it requires a call screener and a producer, and you've got manpower right. there. Uh, but the one thing, the one thing that you have in those, like you talk about screening the calls, it's something that we don't have the ability to do very much in things like live chat. Mm -hmm. You know, we can moderate our comments, and I have every video set hold all comments for review. YouTube ignores that. In the live chat, depending on what gets said, some people right. can say things and words or different things can trigger a hold, and we can sit there and say, okay, yeah, we'll let that one through or we'll delete sure. that one. But that's the only control we have. We don't have that seven second delay dump button when somebody gets a little bit too far. Yeah. Speaking of which, Robert, in the chat, I do love the 80s late night cable vibe of the title cards and credits. <laughs> There's a story there. The 80s are coming. We didn't actually do the 80s with that one. That one is based off of, th I've got elements from three different shows. The Mary Tyler Moore show with the, with the name split. And then for the most part, the streets of San Francisco, right. and then Starsky and Hutch. The freeze at the end is from Starsky and Hutch. Not that we're dating ourselves in any way, shape, or form. No, no, no. Because we've we've talked about this because we're coming up on the end of the year, mm -hmm. and we've started counting seasons. Just you know, we'll have a break at the end of December, and then in January we'll we'll pick up pick up with a new season, quote unquote. Right. So we've been thinking about doing a new title sequence, and I'm thinking, I, by that point, maybe we get into the the '80s action shows, like the A Team, or you know, something like that. Like that. If this goes on for another ten years, <laughs> if this goes on for another ten years, oh my. Oh, WKRP would be a, a, an interesting. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, we would then get into the '90s. Um, explosion of the syndicated cable. Mutant X. Mutant X. Xena. Uh, and uh, Cleopatra. Yeah, 2525. <laughs> Lex. Lex. <laughs> oh, some great stuff. Ah, um, yes. Um, although, although, um, we get really obscure. And about the time the topic of our show was, had been on the air for a few years, but I think it was closer to, to the Deep Space Nine years. Uh, Nowhere Man. Oh, yeah. Which was an American, really fantastic show. I, it, Wasn't that Bruce Greenwood? It was Bruce Greenwood. And it was a very acknowledged, very admitted, we're doing our own version of The Prisoner. The, I mean, the, the people behind it were like, we love The Prisoner and we want to do a show like that. Yeah. And we're going to, you you will... Count the homages. You will find them. They're all here. <coughs> and you know, one season wonder. You know what we could do is, what was that one um, 
the guy who played Joachim in Star Trek II, he had a series for a little bit. He was an alien. Uh, Michelle producer, if you want to, well, I can look it up. I can look it up here. Um, what if we did a riff on Highway to Heaven? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. What there's, there's all kinds of great shows in the A's. Um, but, yeah, but I'm thinking, you know, Riptide, Magnum PI. We could get a, we could get a helicopter. We could do some helicopter stuff. <coughs> Falcon Crest. <laughs> Dynasty. Dynasty. <laughs> well, and, and I have to say, I've done, uh, I have done TV commercials. I had a client one time that it was a, a bariatric center. And they had all of this stuff that they wanted to put in there. I was like, oh, that's a lot of visuals. Oh, I've got this idea. Why don't we use the Dallas title right, sequence yeah. where you have all of the different wipes and you can see, that way you can see everything that's going on. And it didn't come out exactly like that, but I was able to do some of that visually and it made it a little bit interesting and they like the spot. So I've done the Dallas one. I haven't done Dynasty. Although or Knots Landing. Although it is it is a terrible shame that the show didn't really originally start with one of us one of us not being the original co-host. Because then, in the Dallas era, in the 80s era, one of the original co-host could be discovered in the shower. <laughs> I'm not sure we want to go that route. It's a deep route. cut. Uh, That's a very deep cut. Um, but the, well, the other option is one of us gets shot. <laughs> That's much more likely to happen than either one of us getting found in... After, after, sure, a high after a after after a high yeah. So how did you get into my house? <laughs> All right, I'm I'm looking here. In the meantime, um, we are talking about um, the Phoenix. Was it the Phoenix? The Phoenix. I think you might be right. Joachim's not head. on here. Oh, there he is. There he is. Judson Scott. Judson Scott. There's another one. I don't think it made it. I don't think it made it a full season. Um, where is his shows? This is kind of like the, or at least it wasn't a full twenty-two, twenty-four. This is this is the same period where you'd get like the man from Atlantis. Yeah. And. Uh, Oh, the Colbys. The A-Team. V. v <laughs> oh, see, the there A's. we go. Matt Houston. See, if I got the graphics or one of us is like, oh, loser. oh, 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 TJ Hooker. <laughs> Which one of us jumps on the bus? Which one of us slides across the hood of the car? <laughs> <laughs> you know, running down the viaduct, right? Greatest American Hero, Voyagers. Um, okay, yeah, the Phoenix. Of fun, fun music Five in the episodes in 1980. Yeah, so it was yeah. not, it was, um, there was, you don't get that very often anymore where you will have a show which only, even if it's not very good, right. they'll usually let it play out for a truncated season. There it was, you know, if you're committing to 22, 24 episodes. Well, the other thing, too, is when you have just a few networks 
and you're competing, you're, you're, you have fewer competition channels, fewer competing channels Real estate for the attention. Is much more yeah. valuable. And side by side, I was scrolling through my phone to find the Judson Scott and the Phoenix because we have to be accurate and clear and provide the, the, the true information. And if you, in fact, have not seen the Phoenix, I'm pretty sure I watched every one of those episodes yeah. it was on. I, that, was, that was my mindset. If a science fiction show came on, I usually watched, I usually watched it. And <laughs> was like, oh, this is a thing yeah. that's happening. So, since we're kind of sort of celebrating the three years since the Tim Harvey show, would you like to open the, 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 uh, sure. the package? <laughs> the, um, and in 1987, 33 years ago, what do we got there? Uh, it is a advanced reading copy, looks like. Uh, or wait, hang on, what do we got here? Is that the? That's the media sheet. Yeah. So J.J. Cook and A.J. Cook, M.D. Husband and wife author duo joined forces to pen summer 2020's must-read medical thriller with a sci-fi twist. Oh. Um, where's our synopsis? Debut What's novel. It, it is called Percivious Insomnia. Wow. Which is a word you don't get to see very often. Percivious. Percivious, yes. Um, let's see here. Insomnia is not just an unfortunate side effect, it is the pandemic sweeping across the globe, leaving people unable to function in society and bring up the collapse. Um, unlikely a collection of scientists and citizens come together to race against the clock to find a cure. Disturbing revelations, as such things always have, about the underlying cause of the insomnia epidemic come to light that could completely unravel civilization as we know it and throw into question humanity's place. As disturbing revelations do. Now, that is, quite frankly, as someone who has had insomnia at various points in his life, and still occasionally suffers from it from time to time, uh, sleep deprivation? That could be a thing. That, yeah. If, you're, if you, want to, you want to collapse society, don't let it sleep. There is an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that covers that. They, they are not able to get into REM sleep, mm -hmm. and so they very slowly start to lose their mind. Five or six days, I think, I think is so. the um, the place where it really gets bad. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's not good at forty-eight hours. No, no. Have I've done, I've done thirty-six. I've been close to thirty-six. I've never quite done three. I did my first, my first TV job mm. uh, when I moved up here. I was working for an ABC affiliate about an hour north of here. And the hospital start, started doing half hour magazine program. And they would take a particular type of heart disease, breast cancer, mm -hmm. da, 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 and we do a whole half hour. And so you've got all these interviews with doctors and interviews with patients and all that. And this is back before nonlinear editing, yeah, right. which you had to do everything in sequence and I had to build the entire half hour. And of course, there's that one interview that you can't shoot until three days before the thing of course, is supposed right, to right, right. So the first one, 
took me it was it was a marathon editing session it took me 36 hours to put it together and by the time I got done I was I was completely wiped out I went home I crashed and I woke up and the phone is ringing and it's the production people because some doctor who is who was interviewed in the show decided since he didn't get since he didn't sign a, a release form and he wasn't getting some promotional consideration or whatnot for his practice that he was going to sue the station if the if the this the, the spot ran this is about an hour and a half before the show was supposed to go on the air mm -hmm. well they ended up giving him a 30 second spot or something at the end of it but it was one of those of course they blame me I'm like wow I just pointed the camera and asked the questions. I it wasn't my shoot. I didn't produce it. I just put the thing together. Yeah, Tim uh, uh, Robert says I followed Tim Harvey's advice again. Have loved the first four episodes of Penny Dreadful. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I it's such a good show. Uh, other good shows. Uh, let's see. We talked about Winona Earp. If you're not watching that, uh -huh. uh, it's. It's uh, Netflix, I think, has the entire run right now through the new season. I need to catch up on that one. Uh, I need to catch up on the Orville. Dustin, my friend Dustin Adair was telling me that he had just started, well, he'd never seen Winona Earp, and he's like in the middle of the first season. He's like going, this show is amazing. Like, I told you, I've been telling you that for years. Uh, so I messed up. I did not get fired over that particular one. I got fired two years later for a different made-up reason. Now, my sleep deprivation story <laughs> in college, which is, of course, the best place to do sleep deprivation, because you can crash in your dorm room or your apartment and, and disappear for two or three days and... Nobody's the wiser. Nobody's the wiser. Uh, but I was in, we were doing this, the show Medea. Uh -huh. And if you're familiar with that show, of course... Uh, Greek tragedy, Greek right? tragedy, uh, murder of children. It's very dramatic. It's very cool. Uh, and my friend Joel had designed the set. It was two-story set, and I was helping him. We were on a really tight schedule, uh, and so I was helping him build the set. And we were working straight through because we had to get things, a lot of things, done very, very short period of time. Right. Hour twenty-three of building the set, um, where we got a little twitchy. And Joel's a cowboy boot guy. And we're standing in the middle of the, the scene shops. Gigantic room, right? And he's rocking back and forth on his, on his, heels. On his yeah. heels. And as he rocks forward, a mouse runs across the floor. And as he rocks backward, <laughs> the mouse is directly beneath the heel. Ooh. Just completely random, out of nowhere... You know, just admit you wouldn't be able to reproduce it, and, right. you know. And we're just like, and so we're like, bizarre. And so we take the mouse, and the mouse goes in the dumpster, and we go back to work. Sure. Hour 27, Joel disappears. And I go looking for Joel. He's out in the dumpster trying to find the mouse. I said, What are you doing? And he's like, You know that actor, that arrogant, insufferable actor? That scene where he puts his hand on the balcony? What if the mouse? <laughs> and the plan was the mouse would get stapled 
to the balcony railing <laughs> and paint it over. Oh. And we were like, I was like, Joel, you can't do that. First of all, that's crazy. And second of all, figure out it was you. <laughs> get caught. He's like, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. About an hour and a half later, he finds me in the dumpster looking <laughs> for the mouse. Because I'm like, this is such a great idea. <laughs> we oh. didn't do it. We did not do it. Right. Um, but still, it was just like, we both became convinced this was an excellent plan. Yeah. All right, so let's let's actually get into our topic. <laughs> Are you not entertained yet? We're here. We're our 20, 20 degree minutes in. All right, so Star Trek: The Next Generation. Thirty three years ago tonight, I am sitting in front of my television set. I have KTXA channel twenty one mm -hmm. on in Dallas for Encounter at Farpoint with a little hesitation little not quite sure about this new Star Trek thing. Of, I know a lot of people were unsure. Well, it, it, I, I think it was it was a lightning in the bottle scenario where people were wondering if you could do it again. Well, not only that, but it was it was wasn't it a new network? Yeah. And and there were there had been a fair amount of buzz ahead of time, right? People were talking about the show, and the the ship, the Enterprise design had been, had been was out there in the world. Well, and there was some stuff on Starlog mm -hmm. that was about the new show, and some interviews and some different things. But of course, the the original cast had already cast aspersions at this show. I don't need to have another show like that, right? Um, so there was some doubt. I will admit, I was not a fan of the design of the Enterprise. Huh. I never liked D. I never it, liked it. It grew on me, but never to the point where I like really, really loved it. It's too top heavy for me. That was it some was of it. All the, it was all saucer. And I was like, how does that thing? Wait, I know. Aerodynamics in space is not a thing, but but it looks off balance. Well, and, and unfortunately, the, it translated to the interior for me as well because it was I was one of those people who agreed with the hotel in space criticism. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. the yeah. Hilton, the Starship Hilton. Heard that a lot, and I I always wondered why they changed the command and ops colors. It never made sense to me. Why in a, Why would you do that? Why would you change uniforms as much as the Star Trek universe changes uniforms? Well, the changes in the uniforms I didn't mind so much because we'd already had changes in the movies. Because motion picture was different from the series. Right. Which was different from the cage to where no man has gone before to sure. the rest of the series. And then Star Trek Two had different ones. So the, the change in the uniform just in general didn't bother me so much. But We're 80 years later, okay. You know, but just, and, well, and just like for Next Generation, the changes with the movies came down to, these costumes are incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's not have them again. <laughs> well, and, and the Penguin Greys just never really kind of, that was probably the better one about all of them, but nobody really liked those. 
it, it uh, was the science fiction jumpsuit. The pajamas. Yeah, and it's yeah. It, this at some point people got it in their head that in the future we shall wear jumpsuits and pajamas and booties. I know, right? Like, um, uh, why? Mamie Mimi Cat says, when I heard there was a new Star Trek TV show coming back, I was determined to hate it, but I loved it. And I think that this is this is something that you see with, and it continues today, and it, it's been like this, so anytime you bring back a beloved franchise, and for good or for ill, I mean, and it's, certainly there have been shows that have not been successful coming back. Yeah. Um, Star Trek happens to be an exception. Doctor Who has been an exception. Um, revival shows, you, know, you and I were talking about Knight Rider not too long ago, yeah. about the fact that it's just like, um, okay, it's an 80, it's a it's a 1980s car show. It's There's our new opening title. Let's let's go find somebody who's got a kid, right? And we'll go out to we'll go out to the New Mexico desert. Sure, sure. On vacation. Well, we'll loop when we go to when we go to Star Trek Las Vegas. My ex wife, my ex wife lives in Arizona. I bet we'll, we can stay we'll just there. drop yeah. down. Take you know, take a few shots. There we go. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Savage says U.S. Army seems to change uniforms every twenty to thirty years. So yeah, I mean it's eighty years later. Yeah, no, it's, it makes sense, but it never, it never really registered. I never could quite understand. Well, I think why part of it was an, a, a desire to get away from the concept of the red shirt. I, I suppose. Yeah. Not to mention, um, I mean, he, it would have looked fine, but when you think of Picard, can you think of him in anything other than red, red or black? And that's that's the first image that comes to mind. Yes, he had the gray. You know, jacket right. and things, and he's obviously. But those—that's that iconic, that sort of iconic well, silhouette of color. And we've seen him in the blue. Yeah. In, in that one with the um, when he got when he got stabbed. Um, I I could see the gold if that's what we had started with. Well, because sure. you know you established gold still command. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just. It was just the, some of the different little bits and pieces, you know, the fact that there weren't collars on the uniforms. See, that that was sort of the follow-in to, and, okay, so, episode... It was a little bit more the pajama look. Episode comes on, yeah. right, and I'm excited, because I still, this, this may be terrible, but I'm a Star Trek fan, and I bought the books, and I've got the making of Star Trek, and I bought, you know, just about everything that you could possibly have. I went to the cons. I made a Star Trek II costume for a costume contest. Did you? Yeah. You still have it? Um, actually, there is a. It is in a box. It is not aged well, but for the time, because I think I made it in. It was probably the year after Wrath of Khan came out. I have um, the actual designs, the actual patterns for that uniform. Mm. At one point, I was going to get my aunt. My aunt is a seamstress. She does just kind of stuff. My mom time. taught me. My mom taught me how to make a jacket. With I was. That, I so. was going to talk to her and get you know get the fabric and and mm -hmm. get one made and, and do that. But I just never have gotten around to it. And of course, the ones that are actually already made are two hundred and seventy-five dollars. I that we I've made got it, better we, things to spend. We money made mine on. for a lot less, but it would—it yeah. it has not held up over time. But it's in—I have it in a box somewhere in the apartment. Uh, I noticed it when I was when I did the move. Is I was like, oh yeah, that's in there. And but I was like, I there's we could we could put it 
We could put it on the skeleton. <gasps> yes. Uh, you, saw, you saw we had we have a skeleton now. I had not realized that, but we have a skeleton it's now. It's a five foot skeleton. It's a five foot. And if skeleton. it hasn't aged well, it'll be perfect on the skeleton. Let me uh, let me <laughs> let me see how let me see how well not aged well has continued to be since the last time I did it. But that's sure. Because the original plan was to get the skeleton and to put a red shirt on him. Right. Yeah. And you know make it you know damage the red shirt enough that it looked like this could look this like a this could look like a Wrath of Khan era um, I, that's death. It. Without too much trouble, I imagine. <laughs> also, you know, I was a teenager at the time, so it, I, yeah. it doesn't fit at all. I mean, I was not as tall, not as not as broad across the shoulders, and certainly not as rounded in the middle. Uh, but uh, the yeah, so so sitting there watching the show, ready ready for it, yeah. and I'm gonna admit, and you and I have talked about this before, Encounter at Farpoint did not fill me with hope. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I stuck with it. Obviously, most of that first season was off balance. Well, first of all, it's recycled scripts in in large yeah. part. It's it's uh, phase two scripts and some scripts that were original series thing that I think they were drafts from original series stuff that never went anywhere and, and right. got recycled. But phase two, I think, was. The biggest culprit. Well, because you still had Dorothy Fontana was involved still. David Gerald was there. Gene Kuhn. No, not Gene Kuhn. Robert Justman. Mm. Robert Justman was there as a producer. Because Gene Kuhn was already dead, I think. <clears throat> By the... Or retired. Well, no, wait a minute. Now that I think about it, and they might have both been. No, it was Justman. Mm. Justman was there. Gene Kuhn wasn't there. But you had that, that continuity of... Uh, creatives on the backside of things, where you're like, okay, I see these names, I recognize these names. I okay, I'm gonna give it time. And when they did the Naked Now, I thought, uh, okay, I see what you're doing with this one. We're gonna we're gonna wink back at the other one, okay. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the season was kind of. There's, there's two. I think okay. there were two things that were happening with this this first season, in retrospect. Um, is one, we were already entering a different type of television. We were not yet at the point where serialized right. stuff was happening uh, outside of soap operas and, and nighttime dramas and that sort of thing. But we were getting it. It was it was creeping that way. Right. And by trying to recapture, without trying to make the show enough of its own off the bat, which is, has its own risks, it was a little too much, while being extremely different than the original series, it was a lot too much like the original series. It was almost fan film-ish in some respects, not, not totally, but um, it was... To, there, there were enough winks mm -hmm. that you got it, and right. there were too many of them, and it was like uh, the side by side points out: first three seasons are poor. Wesley Crusher saves the ship each week. That happened a lot. Wesley, I could not stand that kid, <laughs> and I never felt any animus toward. Will Wheaton. Right. You, I mean, 
I've never understood people who blame the actor for something the character does. I think that's just ignorant and completely that just that. boggles my mind that anybody would sit there and hate on the actor for what the character does. I'm like, why would you do that? Are you are you? But you see dull? it now. You see. I know. You still see it. I still don't get because it. if you're an actor and someone gives you a gig and you're getting paid. Yeah, and you show up and you do what they tell you to do, and I I'm that's like the job. That's the job, and and I cannot understand how anybody juxtaposes the actor and the character and thinks that they're the same person. Do they not? Do you not grasp the concept of acting? Well, I, but even even some amazing actors have difficulty grasping the concept of acting. I think it was Marathon Man. Where Dustin Hoffman was like up for stayed up for like two or three days to get that sense of yeah, of, and John Gilgood said, "Young man, have you have you tried acting?" <laughs> it's I don't I don't know yeah Mimi Cat says I feel like they stuck the young kid in to try to get a younger audience I think there was some of that it was kind of kind of like when they when they brought Chekhov in. They wanted to get the monkey crowd. Well, they wanted they, to get the Davy Jones crowd. They also had set themselves up with a bit of a story problem. That um, by basically making these, I think this was a Roddenberry thing. Uh, someone might correct me if I'm wrong, but making it a family ship mm. where you would have crews with their families. Right. And the 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 concept here is actually. There's a certain logic to it in that if you were a generation ship traveling from one location to another, colony ship, that sort of thing, yeah. right? But what if you're an exploratory vessel going off and, and discovering strange new worlds and encountering alien species what uh -huh. have, would have uh -huh. teeth and phasers and, and, and pointy sticks? Yes. Having children around is a bit of an issue. But if you're going to do that, you have to have narratively speaking you should have a in to if you're going to have kids you have to have stories with kids in them right, right? so you got to have a kid you got to have a kid and unfortunately once you've got that kid you got to do something with him well the problem with wesley is that he was a self insert for gene radbury for a certain uh, you know, to a certain extent and the genius kid, by that time, was a trope mm -hmm. already, and like like Snob points out, you, you know, if you have your sixty-year-old kid saving the ship all the time, the crew looks incompetent. You know, you have these people who are on the flagship of Starfleet; they are the cream of the crop, best of the best, the brightest, smartest, most capable members of Starfleet on this crew of this ship. And the kid is the one that's always there to figure things out and do it. And I thought, this is not going to last. You can't keep doing this. Why is this kid on the bridge? You know, I'm like, the whole shut up Wesley thing, it really took hold because nobody liked Wesley. Well, Wesley didn't even care for Wesley. I mean, yeah. Will Wheaton was not a huge fan of, of and he's he's come to appreciate the characters as he's sure. gotten older, but as playing the part, he heard all the hate, which of course is yeah. which is which is 
terrible to hear as an actor when you're an adult, but when you're a kid, basically, you know. Well, it's like when when Ahmed Best had to deal with the fallout of playing Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Who's getting a new action figure, by the way, uh, coming out in spring of 2021. There's a new Jar Jar Binks part of the Black series. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the sequel trilogy characters still don't have action figures. So take that for what it's worth. But yeah, the the hate that was directed to Wesley, um, I think the animus toward the character was justified. The anger toward Will Wheaton was not, and and there are a lot of a lot of ideas there, uh, stories with the kid that really pushed the the suspension of disbelief as he got older maybe not so much because he becomes a little bit more capable he, he actually and yet you know, comes into his unfortunately, own unfortunately they he leaves the show with one of the more interesting exits with the trap and they never followed up on that which for a show about exploration could have been yeah. a really really neat bit and of course he we get we get the briefest of cameos, most of which ended up on the cutting room floor. Nemesis, was it? I no. Uh, which one? Which one did they get married? Gener- uh, was no. Gen- uh, it was no. insurrection. No. Insurrection. That's not right. Yeah, yeah. insurrection. Um, no. So, so obviously he came, comes back, but there's a whole like really cool potential story that at that point the show was actually doing a pretty good job of telling those interesting stories. So it could have been, but they just didn't. I think really when the sh- by the time the show got collars, <laughs> it just it until they get, until they got collars and really until the, the obviously when they got the two piece, yeah, but and got rid of the scant. The um, <laughs> it's sort of uh, up until that point it didn't look like uniforms. Yeah, and I think that it's so Star Trek is a hard show every now and again to sit there and go. Uniforms, military, is navy esque. That's right. No, it's a '60s science fiction idea of a uniform, which is fine. Well, and and as Mimi Cast pointed out earlier, Enterprise probably got closer to any kind of a of a uniform look like we're used to when it comes to the military, but. At the same time, Roddenberry had always made it very clear that Starfleet was a quasi-military operation. Yes. And that only goes so far. It only works to a... to a Roddenberry was a fantastic idea guy. Yeah. However, as someone who really thinks the idea of a bright, shining future is really cool, some of his ideas about where humanity was going to go involved, I think products of his time. Right. So the idea was that we were going to be telepathic. There was a whole subplot to the novelization of motion picture mm-hmm. with the this, new humans. The new humans. And this was something that I mean, this is this is a and it's a kind of a neat idea in terms of a story, but how would you make that work in Star Trek? And Star Trek has been a contradiction. There are a lot of contradictions, you know, the one of the most popular Star Trek films, of course, is Voyage Home, where the Enterprise crew suddenly forgets that they already know how to swear. 
because they've done it before. Well, and and they forget that money is a thing. It's just well, because up until that point, up until that point, because we didn't have Deep Space Nine yet, and Deep Space Nine leaned into the whole idea of currency again with the Ferengi and out on the frontier and whatnot, because the producers at that point had realized, hey, wait a minute. You gotta have money. But the Enterprise crew had already gone through a piece of the action. They know money exists. They know money exists. They know that. But he said, "But see, but the, the, Kirk says they're still using money. I know what money is. They're still using it. Now we need to have some because we don't have any." But this is like so. There's sometimes it's the rule of funny. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's the rule of cool. For for all the fact that you know, if you complain about continuity. In a lot of different shows, Star Trek has its own problems with continuity. What? <laughs> I regret to inform you. Yeah, it is in fact true. But it's so there's this all this stuff that that the Roddenberry's ideas, many of them are very very cool, but practical in terms of telling a yeah. good story doesn't always translate. How many times do you try and get uh, uh, Dylan Hunt into space or no into the future? Yeah. Three. Four. <laughs> well, and, and then four, three, two movies, and a series. And a series. Yeah, so three. Uh, Robert said, "Just got e- email confirmation. I'm adopting a cat tomorrow. I've cleaned the carrier and bought litter and frisky fees. Congratulations." Yes, congratulations. Um, be sure to pay homage to your feline masters often, and <laughs> and sincerely. And name it Spock. Don't name it Spock. Unless, you, unless, unless its name is Spock. You'll know. It will tell you its name. You'll figure it out. Telepathically. <laughs> or something. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it's... Did those, you not watch my movie? <laughs> there is... Um, well, yes, I watched your movie. Well, then you know. Cast there, there is a lot to survive in the first couple seasons of Next Generation, yeah, uh, like you gotta said, be you gotta be a fan. Yeah, the collars. I, I think I think that's a good debarkation point when the uniforms changed because they they had gone through and and we've talked about this before with new shows. First seasons are always and yeah, and this, and this is something that that we forget. We forget this now. Yeah, we we have so much that's going on in terms of of great genre content. But it's like, oh, the first season of this show is terrible. It's like, it's the first season of the show. Yeah. Are you you're expecting it to be good? That's not, I, that's, that's well, a lovely thought. I think the expectation was that the first season would be good because it was Star Trek, and we'd already had three years of Star Trek, four years if you count the animated, and you got all these movies, and we know how to do Star Trek. And yet, we've except, seen with, except we've seen with every Star Trek show since every no every Star Trek show except the original series, which. Started off strong, and by the third season, we were kind yeah. of going, eh. Well, the first season of Star Trek, that they were still putting some things together, like you but, know, oh, Starfleet. But there were some great episodes. There were some yeah. really strong episodes there. Whereas, how many strong episodes can you think of from the first season of Next Generation? How many strong episodes can you think of from uh, Voyager or Deep Space Nine? That there's some strong episodes in, in all of those seasons in terms of performances or writing. But there's, they're not the ones we remember. Yeah. 
And in fact, uh, we saw the same thing. Well, honestly, we've seen it with every Star Trek series since. So, uh, whether you know, you don't you don't have to like any of these shows. You don't have to like Discovery or or uh, Enterprise or any of those things. But the first seasons of any, every Star Trek show have been really rocky. Some more than others. Oh, no question. Yeah. But I think that we we tend to think of if again you think of say. Mm. And some shows I don't think ever quite got over it. Voyager, I was never a huge fan of Voyager because I don't think Voyager knew what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it, I can I can see some of that. I think the the problem with Voyager was that you have seven years, and we all knew that it was going to be a seven-year thing because that's every season, every every show for Star Trek was supposed to be a seven-year show because it's it was just. That's the number they came up with. That's what the, the contract said. You know, everybody signed out for seven seasons, and so you are seventy thousand. How, however many light years it would take you seventy years to get back home and all that. Okay, how are you going to do that? At some point, there's going to be a conceit. There's going to be a cheat to get them home. Sure. So you know that's coming, but at the same time, all of their interactions with aliens that they've never encountered before and are able to interact with them without any problems in the universal translators or anything like that. And Neelix kind of became this throwaway character because originally he's the guide. He's the one who says, okay, no, you don't want to go there. Mm. Let's go over here instead because if you need these supplies, we go over here and we get away from these bad people, we go over here. And they kind of lost that. They kind of dropped that after a he while. Became he became the, the morale officer. Well, and, the, the, and the comedy character. Yeah. And especially after Kess left. Who they didn't know what to do with. Right. So there were these ideas in Voyager, but they never quite gelled. And I think when you had the, the original idea of two different crews, Starfleet and Maquis, having to work together, that could have been it's so a, much more. It set up a dark, it's a really dark premise. You're stuck. Yeah. You're, you're good, odds are good you're going to die on the way home. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. You're trapped with people who want to kill you, or at very least do not have your interest in, at heart. And on top of that, you have no repair ability. Mm -hmm. And there was there was a darkness to the premise of the show that as soon as every time they danced up to it, they'd be like, nope, nope, yeah. can't can't go there. Or it was some outside thing like Seska. Yeah, you know where suddenly you have somebody who's not a regular is the antagonist, and you you set up the same kind of problem that the next generation had, where everybody gets along, all of your regulars mesh, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why Deep Space Nine works as well as it does, I think, from the very beginning, is you had characters that didn't like each other at the beginning, and that carried through. Not only, More season, season, season. Not only that, Deep Space Nine leaned into the fact that it was it was going to be complicated. 
Deep Space Nine dealt with religion, yeah. politics, it dealt with war, it dealt with this is this is episode one. This is like, by the way, mm-hmm. this you're you're gonna be in charge of a station that used to be the headquarters of the occupying force. Yeah. And this was yeah. a period where we actually, if you were paying attention to the news at the time, occupying forces were something that you were familiar with from television. And they were happening in the real world. And whatever your own personal politics were, and whatever geopolitical viewpoint you held, you were familiar with what this, these terms mean. Right. And so there's this dark premise baked into the show. And then, of course, you have the, the darker premise, the, the, the dark premise built into the main character yeah. is, oh yeah, by the way, um, we know who you are because your establishing character uh, beat from the very beginning is Picard killed your wife. Yeah, he didn't do it on purpose. He was, and, he, and he hates his job. And he hates his job. And it's just like, and I was just like, this show is. I don't know what they're doing, but yeah. I'm fascinated by but this. But then you take the guy who hates his job and doesn't want to be there and make him the central religious figure for an entire civilization <laughs> in the first show, in the and first episode. With, he didn't ask for this. But then you take that same character, and one of the things that, that unfortunately they did not get to do, they got to do it in pieces in, in Next Generation. Picard got to do it, mm-hmm. um, which is... You take that character and you put them through an emotional ringer and an ethical ringer. Yeah. And you could do it with Cisco because he was a character who didn't, you know, if you'd gotten, if we'd gotten to the end of, of the Next Generation run and they were giving Picard those kind of stories, I don't know if, if, if fans would have dealt with it well. No, it wouldn't. Because it goes against what we've already established with Picard. But with, with Cisco, you were able to see, you. As you were going through this with him, and so by the time you get to certain decisions, if you've not seen the show, watch the show. And and I would say that binge watching is probably the best way to to take DS Nine. It works because because it's, it, because it's, it's serialized. serialized. It works, and you just go from one to the next to the next, and, and you it, can see it build as opposed to doing a week to week. Well, and it was the first Star Trek episode to lean into that hard. Yeah. Sci-Fi uh, Substance uh, makes the argument that Voyager's last three seasons might be better than TNG because of all the conflict, and that actually makes me think the the two there was a two-part episode, Year from Hell, right, which was supposed to be the entire season, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, too dark. Yeah, they they, they said dark. can't do it, not gonna do it. And it would have been it would have been a fan- oh yeah, it would have been really, potentially gonna be a fantastic season. It would have been brilliant because I think for me, Next Generation really solidified into its own at the point. I mean, you have these different moments along the way, but Best of Both Worlds mm-hmm. just really sealed the deal, and. I remember interviews with with Patrick Stewart, where he was talking about when he when he first came to the states to shoot this thing. He didn't figure it last a season. He never even he thought you know I didn't even unpack basically. And suddenly you're on for all of this time, and he's a star now. And you know all of these doors start opening for him. 
and you know you've got the X-Men thing and all these things start to happen Dune <coughs> but you also but uh, you're, you're leaving out you're leaving life out Life Force Life Force was life before force. this yes <laughs> and if you're if you've not seen if you've not seen Life Force that's a whole other conversation. Oh, that's, I, yeah, it's an amazing cast. Uh, well, and I'm I'm still wondering what's happening with the TV series because there's supposed to be a TV series. Because how do you do that? But there's supposed well, to be a TV. Okay, series. you do it. You do it on HBO because you can do the nudity. Uh, and but you can't you can't get her back. Yeah, she's she's not coming back to play that part. No, I know. But the you you had all of this happening, and then when Best of Both Worlds happened, and there were already rumors swirling about that maybe Patrick Stewart wasn't coming back, and then he gets captured by the board, and I I remember because it was Saturday night, because back then it was on Saturday night in Dallas, and when when Riker says Mr. Warf fire. And it goes to be continued. And I you, remember coming up out of my seat, I'm like, "No, you can't stop it there." And you had to wait. <laughs> I know months. Now, now we are used to the waiting part now in a way that we were not used to it then. We've actually we've gotten better at this as audiences because sometimes it's if you're a Game of Thrones fan, two years. Mm. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you've got two years because yeah. the, now the pandemic, of course, has, has slowed production. But this was a thing that we you see this now. Westworld two years in between an episode, so and and we accept that because we get you know the production value is high. Right. We know what these shows cost now. In some cases, they're paying they're paying the entire season budget of a Star Trek Next Generation for an episode. Yeah. So it's you know there's we're 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 better at this. The waiting. No, we're not better. We just we're we're more. Condition. We're more conditioned to it. We st I still no. bitch about the, you know, what? I have to wait how long until I get another ex episode of The Expanse? Mm -hmm. Why? Why do you hate me so much? Yeah. You know, uh, well, you're easy to hate sometimes. I know. No. I know. And, and, and I, I work at it. I, I think, too, the, the, the paradigm of binge watching is shifting as well because we're starting to see. And for a while, yeah, that was great. You get 13 hours, you can watch all the show and do whatever. But I think people are starting to realize, and networks and streaming services are starting to, to realize, that if you drop the entire series, the entire season, in one fell swoop, then you get, you get the reactions and you get the chatter that weekend. And then it goes away, and then everybody is waiting until you drop the next season. And, and the thing is, is that in between that season and the next season, they might find something else they want to watch. That's yeah, exactly. And and now you have things like The Mandalorian, or uh, you know, uh, West is Westworld going weekly? Westworld went weekly. Uh, Lovecraft Country, of course. Yeah. One of the biggest shows on TV. In, Winona in the, Earp. They're, 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 they're weekly. Well, Winona Earp's on the, on the Sci-Fi Channel, so right? But they're I mean, weekly anyway, but. But the, these prestige shows are coming out weekly. Yeah, you're starting to get that model coming back where if I drop an episode, now you have a week to talk about it and build up anticipation for the next episode. Right, and along and the way the you could sit there and go, ooh, have you seen this show? Yeah. The four of the episodes are already up. You watch them this week and then we'll watch number five, you know. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, yeah, and I think I think there's a, there's a, there's a marketing value to that. Mm -hmm. 
that the network no took a very long time to wake up to. Well, I think that there was a certain amount of, of all just agreeing with each other. And, and seeing that we did this even before binge watching became a thing on, on the cable channels, really. We were doing it with DVDs and, and videotapes, so you'd get yeah. you'd get the you know season five of whatever your favorite show is, and you'd sit there and watch all the episodes back to back. Right. And so we were already doing that to a degree, but it was um, it was still a mixed model. You watch it a weekly episode, you watch your favorite group of things all together on your own. So then they just combined it because we were Netflixing and chilling. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, I think if you did, uh, if you did a show like The Next Generation now, you could not do it the way they did it then, mm -hmm. because all of the inciting action coming from outside got old mm -hmm. pretty quick. And if you were to do any kind of a binge season, I think that would be a little bit more evident than going from week to week. I think the other part of it too is you look at something like Picard, which is week to week, but there's hardly any story there, and they're anticipating that you're going to watch, you know, the serial, whether you're whether you're binge watching it afterwards or whatever. I don't know if it holds up if you watch it all together any more than it does than weekly, but it's badly written and when you binge watch something you can I think you can tell a little bit more you can detect when something holds together sure. or when it doesn't well but even you then, go week to week it, you don't always see the flaws because you're not you know you're not connecting all of the tissue together right but we also wouldn't be doing a show like a 22, 24 episode run. Right. We've gone away from that model entirely. And for if you don't have 22, 24 episodes of season, um, you end up with the first couple of seasons of Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah. Where if you were to sit there and go, yeah, give me 16 episodes and let's lose that one because it's terrible and let's lose this one. And then spend the money on these 16 episodes and work out this. You had to fill 22, 24 weeks of content. And well, was was there a writer strike in the first season? I know the second season. Second season you got hit with it because that was 88. And the writer strike was right in the middle because that's why uh, that's why the creative team on Robocop 2 changed. Right. Because you had the writer strike going into... 88 because that's when they recycled some phase 2 scripts because yeah. season 2 is where we got the child yeah. right which was supposed right. to be that was a Decker Ilya story and it wouldn't have worked there either although if, if phase 2 had happened when it happened audiences might have dealt with it better because again the way that they were watching TV versus how we were starting to change that in Next Generation so yeah. I think it's, it's it's really interesting how being committed to that show, where now if Star Trek, if if <laughs> Next Generation occurred now, we had no new Star Trek in between the original series and now, mm -hmm. and Next Generation was the first of the new shows. 
it wouldn't have made three seasons. Not as it was produced then. Right, and I think that, that it would have been very much a, well, I'm not sure there's an audience for Star Trek on television. Well, it's, well, and, and you've got some people that are saying that now because Discovery has not been broadly well-received. And now we're actually starting to see numbers because first season is showing on the network itself. Mm -hmm. And the first episode performed abysmally. They got a point two. But it's already rating. been seen by the folks it's, who wanted to watch yeah, it. Yeah, and, and there is that. You've got... It's already, out of, it's already out on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, you've got... Well, <laughs> and, and the thing is, your first episode already aired on the network when right, it yeah, premiered so back then. So now you're going to have a little bit of a track record as the entire season plays out of the network, which has never been done. Mm -hmm. Uh, because not everybody has CBS All Access, sure, and right. people are like, well, you okay, it's Star Trek, I'll watch Star Trek. Except nobody's watching it. Well, the other thing is, is that at this point, if, if you're, if you'd be someone like me, or it'd be kind of like going, you know what, just come in at the second season. I mean, the first, it's, it's a Star Trek show. The first season is not great. No. The second but, season, the second season, the second season, the second season has absolutely almost nothing to do with the first season. To some degree, so, that's true. So why, why, I, 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 the the yeah. the well the best the best reason to watch the first season if you're going to watch the first season at all is watch Jason Isaacs being evil. Spoiler <laughs> alert! I just spo I spoiled a huge plot Isn't point. Isn't Jason Isaacs evil anyway? Yeah, I mean, he's so good at online. He's well, he's he, but he's so good at playing. He's so good at playing this kind of Starfleet captain we saw again and again and again in the original series. But this time he's got a justification for being horrid. Yeah. Because you know, Kirk with. Kirk's peers, Kirk's peers were either going crazy all the time or power hungry little tyrants. Now Matt Decker didn't. He didn't. He, he went didn't crazy. Not until after he lost his entire crew. But then he tries to murder the Enterprise's crew. He became obsessed. Yes. But but, but <laughs> up until that point, though. He was a stellar captain. That I, I will give you that. But so Jason Isaacs as a villain in this again, spoiler alert, um, is it's fun to watch up to a point, uh -huh. and then it becomes. When I heard they brought in the mirror universe mm -hmm. in season one, I thought, okay, I don't have any interest in the show because it. The problem with prequels, and this might be something that we talk about at some point just to go through this, but when you have a prequel, you have to do it in a way that is unique and doesn't contradict mm -hmm. what's going to happen later. And Mirror Mirror establishes it's their first time ever doing this. And as, as much as I enjoy seeing In a Mirror Darkly in Enterprise... That one technically kind of doesn't belong there either. Oh yeah, no. Because, I mean, it's it's gorgeous, it's brilliant. I think it's so much fun that we got the sets and the uniforms and all of that, and that was a nice little wink that it was the Defiant. Oh, I see what you did there, Manny Cotto. But it's still 
this shouldn't be happening here. It's, and it's, so Discovery does it. It's a right. It's, it's a writing indulgence. It's a cheat. Well, it's it's yeah. a it's a you're you're the people working on a Star Trek show. Yeah. And you sit there and go, well, wouldn't it be cool if we did a Mary Universe episode? And everyone's yeah. everyone agrees, and so you do it, and it's 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 the continuity thing that's that's an issue. But yeah, so I mean, whether you and like Deep Space Nine did them too much. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. So I mean, again, you you look at the whatever the show is going to be, and really, if if the show lasts three, if any Star Trek show at lasts three seasons, usually about the third season, you're pretty, you know, you either you either are on board with the show and you find yeah. it's really really good, or you've checked out. Well, and and we saw that with Enterprise. Because the fourth season is when it actually started feeling like a Star Trek. Episode. And this, of course, is not limited to Star Trek shows. Of course, right. we were we had a week by week uh, following Agents of Shield, trying to figure out what the heck they were doing for the first mm -hmm. eighteen episodes of the show, and going watching the numbers bleed because yeah. they, they, they they lost something like. 20 million by the time they got around to and doing the reveal. And, 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 then the, and the show turned out to be really, really fantastic. And if you stuck with the show, yeah. it was a really solid... You know, it had its ups and downs. Star Trek The Next Generation had its ups and downs. All of these shows have had their ups and downs. But one of the things that they've all done, and one of the reasons why I'm actually looking forward to Discovery Season 3, because it doesn't have any... It's, it's like watching one of these shows... It's like watching the first episode of, of Enterprise... It's like watching the first episode of Deep Space Nine because it doesn't have the rules are changed. Okay, right. yeah, you are. It's, it's essentially it's a brand new show. It's a brand new show. It's the it's the cast. If you if you if you like these actors and you're and you know it's it's got the setting, you know it's got the Starfleet setting and you're like okay so here's our here's our area of familiarity. Here's okay we're well, I'm, I'm on the Enterprise. This is a captain. Okay, he's a French guy. Okay, fine. He's got an English accent that doesn't make any sense. Whatever, and you know. Or, or here's here's Ben Cisco and his wife died at the oh ooh they're yeah. starting dark and you know okay here's here's Catherine Janeway and oh the ship you know you had these setups so you've got the you've got your Star Trek your established Star Trek thing and then something new right. and and for the fact that I think there's some really there's some good moments in, in season two of Discovery the problem is is that it's we no matter what, no matter how the show ends, we know how the show ends. Kirk becomes captain of the Enterprise, yeah. and that's a completely different that's a completely different show. Well, the thing the thing that gets me about about Discovery is what they're doing now in season three. They should have done at the beginning. Don't do another prequel. Give me something past, the, so you're not tied uh, to the continuity, the, and you don't have any rules you have to follow. The only the only reason I would disagree with that is that we got. Um, Ensign Mount as Chris Pike, and quite frankly, I think and and that show and that but really if that's your one good takeaway. Well, from no, the I show. Mean, that's, that's and that's why that's why no, it's my one good takeaway from the show. It's why I'm okay with them not getting it right until or not doing the cool thing that I really want them to do yeah. until the third season. Because I actually sat there and go, oh, ooh, could could we have a Chris Pike series? Mm -hmm. And then the going, 
Yeah, sure, here you go. Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, what, well, what else could I ask for? Sakasaki points out, Enterprise started with time travel and a big threat to Earth in the first episode you have to build to that. And I would agree, the whole, the whole temporal Cold War thing, I never got into that. I thought, you, you, I thought, you know, this is a decent science fiction show, mm -hmm. but as Star Trek, it doesn't gel because it doesn't. The whole temporal Cold War thing just didn't didn't. Well, it also open. skipped out on some possibilities, and you and I have have talked, I think, a little bit in the past about some of the Star Trek novels. Yeah. And and this was this was not just Enterprise. This was. The difference between the books and the TV and movies, which is the you know um, any any Romulan novel by Diane Duane. Oh yeah, absolutely. Basically, if you just sit there and go, no, this is the model, just do it like this, and the Romulans will be, you know, yeah. and and some of that stuff has crept in in sly ways, but a lot most of it hasn't. The Klingons. Um, uh, the final reflection. Now, admittedly, they're a little too human in the final reflection, and that's. But it's such a well-written novel that taking and yeah. some of that stuff has actually crept in, in little tiny sneaky ways because the people who are making the shows are fans of the novels too. Whether the this whether Paramount or ABC goes, we don't want to do it that way. They're like, okay. Right in Thoughtmaster. <laughs> right in. Is is that is that a bird of prey? What, what's the name of that captain? We're not going to tell you what her name is, yeah. but we're going to write something in here that translates into ale. Yeah. It's like, you know, what's going on here? Um, you know, and I'm gonna, they haven't done that, but somebody will because they're just. Um, so you end up with these. You end up with shows that try and get. They, they make the mistake. We've talked about this before too. They're filling in holes enough to be filled in. Yeah, and and I understand the logic. Is that here's a we've we've heard about the Klingon War. Okay, let's show it. It's like okay, I can get I get that. I get yeah. I get the the, the but if But if you were going to go there to a past war, I would have dropped them right in the middle of the war. I would have done the Romulan War, and you have Starfleet Year One in the books, which would have been sure. a perfect. Piece that you could take and you could adapt and you could do it and and go. But I would have done. I would have done. I would have gone. To, if if it were me, I would have sat there and gone. Okay, we're going to divorce this completely from any Star Trek show we've seen before. We're going to make a war show. Yeah. Because we it, it, take the place where we went to with Deep Space Nine. And start there. And start with this is the war. And I would have actually, because you could now you couldn't do it then, but you could sit there and go. First episode, drop us in. Yep. We're just no no backstory, no introduction. Here we are. We're in the midst of it. It is, you know, a ship on the front line. It's it's a it's a group of Starfleet officers trapped on a planet, and they're you know give me <coughs> give me Zulu with Starfleet officers and Klingons, uh, you know. Millions of Klingons coming over the hill, you know. Did you see? And I don't remember. I think it's. I think it's. It Star wouldn't Trek. be Star Trek. Well, no. But it would be. Yeah. A Star Trek show. Did you, I think it was Star Trek Continues? They brought back the the Romulan commander mm -hmm. and her daughter 
played the character. I was going to say, okay, and, did, did, did they bring her back? I think it's right. I think it's continues, but the daughter, mm. what what I, I can't remember the actress's name, but her daughter played the Romulan commander in in the show, mm -hmm. and the resemblance is uncanny mm -hmm. that you could sit there and say, oh, you could do that again. You could you could bring that character back because, you know, Romulans live as long as Vulcans. You could have somebody, and she could be older in mm -hmm. the era of Picard. She, you, could, you could still have her around yeah. and have that continuity of, of story. But, yeah, it, it, Next Generation had a lot of potential, for the first few seasons, you think, okay, I can see what you're trying to do, and they really hit their stride about season five-ish, If you, if you five. stuck with it, it became, well, it became the defining modern Star Trek show. Yeah. And when there's at least a couple of generations, every now and again we're old, there's at least a couple of generations, that's their Star Trek show. Yeah. You know, when remember that when we were born, Star Trek had been off the air for... Six years? Seven years? Sixty... Uh, Sixty-three? Well, uh... No, you had... Uh, Sixty-six, sixty-seven, sixty-nine. Sixty-nine, so, so yeah. yeah, they, they, six, yeah so, a, a year, a year-ish, when we were born, the show had been up there. Yeah, and then you had the animated series in 73, 74, which was in Now the it's show continuity. is It is. It's, it's fourth season. And everybody says it's fourth season. I don't care what you say. But you have the... The reruns, you have the, the syndication and all that, and then you have the Bantam books mm -hmm. that start to come out. You have the Star Trek, the adaptations from Blish, and Alan Dean Foster doing the adaptations of the animated stuff. Then you start having new stuff come out. Right. New stories. Um, the Price of the Phoenix, The Fate of the Phoenix, Spock, Spock Messiah, Spock Must Die. You know, these, these are... Really old Star Trek books. The Galactic and, Whirlpool. And and um, some of them have not aged well. I I talked to Joe Holdman on Live from the Bunker here not too long ago. And we talked about Star Trek because he did too in that Bantam run. Right. And it's interesting because he sat there and said, Oh yeah, well you know, it's 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 cool that a real Star Trek book, but he didn't quite really get Star Trek. You know, it wasn't really his thing. But it's it's, it's interesting. And well, uh, we should I I will refer you to that conversation with Joe Haldeman. We should we should do we should dive into some of these early things because some of them understood Star Trek. But yeah. Um if you think Star Trek. I want. I'm gonna say Star Trek was the, the earlier slash fiction, but some of that stuff got published, and it was it was slash fiction with the scenes just happening well, off chapter. The, the scene. I remember <laughs> the Phoenix books were. The Phoenix book. Yeah, the Phoenix books were. They a were a little off, but the 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 beginning of Spock must die. At the very beginning, that first scene, when Kirk walks into the conversation between McCoy and Scotty, talking about the transporter. Does the transporter take you and turn you into energy and put you back together? 
or does the transporter kill you and create a copy and now you're the copy and how many copies have been destroyed and created and there's this philosophical question oh this is kind of this is this is deep this is good because everybody has always wondered that that's the that's the universal question am i a copy or am i the original and Kirk's like, well, the fact that you're able to have the moral question kind of would, you know, the whole idea of does the copy have the soul and all of that. We've actually, we actually talked about it at one point in my philosophy class in college, this idea of the copy having the soul and what is the, does the soul exist and all of that. There, there are, unfortunately, to, for this entire argument, there are very specific assumptions you have to make that are based less on physics yeah. and more on faith. Metaphysics. And that is both good and bad. Yeah. The movie The Majestic. The movie The Majestic? I never saw it. Have you seen it? That's the one with Jim Carrey. Yeah. No, not not The Majestic. I'm because sorry. Because The Prestige? The Prestige. The Prestige. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But see, the thing is that that gets a hand wave because it's David Bowie. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And well, it, it's 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 a fantastic cast, but it does raise the question again of what is what is who are you yeah. if you have been duplicated or teleported and reconstructed? And there's a certain argument um, to be made, a very strong one to be made, that if you are reduced to your component atoms, are you still you? Because my component atoms and the component atoms of this chair fundamentally are identical. To a point. It's how they're assembled. Yeah. And not to mention you get into the processing power that would require to do that to a human body. Multiple human bodies. Uh, sure. Well, and, and over and over and over again. Yeah. All right. So that we, we will leave. We will leave with that, that, thought. that philosophical <laughs> question left on the table. Uh, and we will wrap up and, and thank everybody in the chat for participating. And don't forget, uh, you can get a 10% discount when you use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 over at superherostuff.com and the money you save you can give to us we've got a subscribe star account uh or there's a paypal account uh or there's the super chats or whatever um if you have something that you would like to send us for a review or if you want a sticker uh something you can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope uh, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And that's all of the, that's all of the busy work, busy business. So, um, we're back next week, the week after. We have a bye week because it's Columbus Day. So we'll take that week off. We have a plan for the various different days off that we're going to do. There's a reason for it. We'll get to it. But yeah, we'll be back next week. What are we, what? We have to figure things out and stuff. Out. Not stuff and things? Well, things maybe stuff. maybe stuff and things, but it's likely things and stuff. Unless right. it's things and things. Well, we'll figure out those things Perhaps and we'll get back to stuff. you next week. Thanks for, for being here, everyone. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.